0: Oh, I am excited about this series that we're in. And Before we get started, has Nash made it in here yet? Nash graduated. I'm so proud of him. Listen, Nash, I've got a little gift for you here. Um, that You don't need to open it up in front of everybody. I just want you to come and get it. But this is for you. It's not really for your graduation. It's just because you're awesome is all. So you can take that back to your seat. I, 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 the fun thing about Christmas and this season, yeah, I'm excited. Nash. It's a graduate. He's graduating. He's um, so proud of him. You know, it's kind of fun this time of year, this season, we get to give gifts. That is fun. I enjoy that. And I was thinking about this. I was thinking, okay, we get to uh, give Nash a little, just a little gift, just not a big thing, just something to make you smile, you know. But we get to do that. And I get to do that. I get to hand it to him. I get to give it to him. I got to think about it on the way over here. It's like, ah, oh, if Nash there, I'm going to give me a little gift, a little box. And I got to thinking about it and, and how fun that is to get to do that. And, you know, while I'm, even while I'm hearing myself tell this story, I'm beginning to realize that even though, even though I kind of said that was about Nash, The more I talk about it (laughs) and describe it, the more that story actually was about me (laughs) giving that story about myself and what I'm doing because naturally, my perspective in all of this life, Nash, even when it's related to you, I struggle with this, my perspective is to make it about me somehow. And even if it's not overtly about me, it's about me and the way it makes me feel. Somehow, I naturally make it about me. I don't have to work hard to do that. It just happens. And like we said last week, with our lives, I certainly have the tendency to make things around me revolve around me. Because I want what I want, and so I do what I can to get what I want. But at the same time, I'm not totally heartless. Am I? I mean, I don't think I'm completely self-absorbed. Am I? I mean, it is not all about me, or my, or mine. I do like to give. And I do enjoy serving in some ways, especially this time of year, though. I enjoy doing something for other people, especially at Christmas season. It feels good to serve. But the more I think about it, that good feeling that I get from serving, hmm, it's easy for my serving to become self serving I'm going to have McKinley put that on the screen because I, I think I've, that's something I want us to remember It's easy for my serving to become self serving, so in many senses, as I look at that phrase, my serving is kind of broken, but you know that's not the only thing broken my my not only is my serving broken. My giving is broken too. It seems like I have this little hint almost all the time of broken giving. So when I give something, there's still a brokenness to it because I usually give to somebody with some kind of expectation in return. Even if it's just like, you know, anything will do. Any type of return, I mean, even a smile, if I'm giving back a smile or or a thank you or some kind of kind acknowledgement, just something, anything will do. But in that, there's this little tiny seed, a little tiny seed of self-serving giving. So place that on the screen, McKinley. A little tiny seed of self-serving giving. Giving. And that's me. But surely, surely I'm not the only one. Don't we all on some level in some way kind of do something similar? And sometimes we serve and sometimes we give in order to gain a little bit of position. Sometimes we serve and sometimes we give in order to gain just a little bit of recognition or glory. And again, all of those things are self serving, and it's self serving giving. Because you know, uh, there's just something about us that tries to make it all about us. But it was no different. 2,000 years ago in the first century, it was no different for the followers of Jesus. They struggled with that very same thing. While Jesus was here on earth, the people who followed him, they struggled with that. They too were self-serving. And they too had a hard time thinking about anybody else except themselves. And it was such a significant issue while Jesus was here on earth that he actually stopped more than once, what he was doing to once again explain the principle that we're going to be trying to communicate this morning. And by the way, The conversation that we're going to look at today, that conversation actually happened shortly before Jesus was going to be arrested and tortured and executed. So that means in order for him to stop and take time to talk about that when it's so close to what he knew was coming, that this must have been very significant for Jesus. This morning we're going to be reading from a firsthand account of that experience that we're going to be talking about today. So the guy who wrote this down, inspired by God to write it, but he was there when it happened. This is what he experienced. And it's the follower of Jesus called Matthew. And we're going to be looking at this. And McKinley's going to have it on the screen for you. It's Matthew chapter 20. And I'm going to start reading. And McKinley, just kind of hang out here with me phrase by phrase. He's going to be, we're going to start reading in uh, verse 17. It says, and Jesus was going up to Jerusalem. And this is, we, this we know. He was headed there because he was getting ready to die There, in just a few days. It says, as he was going up to Jerusalem, he took the 12 disciples aside privately. So he's telling them something he's not telling everyone. And he told them what was going to happen to him. So here's what's coming. Jesus is saying, okay, guys, listen. It has all come down to this, fellas. It's all come down to this. Here's the game plan. And everything we have done so far, and in fact, all of history before this, has all led to this moment that's coming up. And here's what he says in verse 18. He says, Listen, he said, We're going to Jerusalem where the Son of Man, that's me, Jesus is saying, will be betrayed to the leading priests and teachers, uh, the teachers of religious law. They will sentence him, fellas, don't forget, that's me, they will sentence him to die. Verse 19. Then, it's not over, they will hand him, he's saying me, over to the Romans to be mocked, flogged, whipped, flogged with a whip, and then ultimately crucified. Jesus is saying, fellas, I'm going to die. And it's going to be horrible, It is going to be gruesome. It is going to be painful. But this has been the plan the whole time. This is not an accident. It is a plan. And then he goes on. He says, but, so all that's going to happen, but on the third day, he, Jesus is saying, me, will be raised from the dead. And it's like he's looking, it's as if he's saying, okay, guys, are you with me? Do you understand? You got it? All right, everybody hand in. Ready, ready, set, break. Let's go to Jerusalem. He goes on the passage at an end, verse 20. Then, so we're not sure how long, all we know is at some point after that conversation, it may have been just a few steps down the road, or it may have been a day. I don't know, we don't know. A very uh, uh, some amount of time, it couldn't have been long, some amount of time happened. It says, then the mother of James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came to Jesus with her sons. Uh-oh. So here comes big mama, and she's got her two boys by the ears, and she brings them into Jesus. But that's probably not what happened. The reality is, more than likely, those two sons put their mama up to go do this for them. And so she walks up to Jesus. As the Bible says, Matthew records it, he says she knelt respectfully to ask a favor. Verse 21, Jesus says, what's your request? He asked. She replied, in your kingdom, please let my two sons sit in places of honor next to you. One on your right and one on your left. Now, this may not seem so significant to us, but 2,000 years ago, in their culture at that time, this was a big request on Mama Bear's part. This was huge. You see, the place on the right side of a king was considered the highest place of honor right under the king. So it had the most honor, and it had the most authority right under the king. So to be, seat, to be seated on the right-hand side of Jesus in his kingdom, well, that's a big request that she's sons. But we have a problem, because Mama Bear has two sons. dose sons. And here's where this text marries the culture perfectly seamlessly because in that culture at that time in the first century when there were two people of honor it didn't matter which one was on the right and which one was on the left if they were two people of honor two special recognitions it didn't matter the right and the left were considered then for those two people of equal position they were considered equal the left and right was just as good And that's what she's asking for. That would be the case here for these guys. If Jesus let them sit, it would be two equals directly under who was ruling that that kingdom, which would be Jesus. It was equally prestigious, equally significant. Now back to Jesus, verse 22. But Jesus answered by saying to them, you don't know what you're asking. Are you able, he says, to drink from the bitter cup of suffering I am about to drink? It's as if Jesus is saying, listen, fellas, you have no idea what you're asking. Guys, you don't understand. If you want to be on my right and you want to be on my left, okay, well, that is getting ready to happen. All right, it's going to happen. In just a couple of days, it's going to happen. Yeah. In a matter of days, guys, someone is going to be right beside me. There's going to be one on my right. There's going to be one on my left. And they're not going to be just hanging out with me. Uh-uh. Not hanging out. They're going to be hanging from across. And I don't think you want to. I don't think you're ready for what you're asking. I don't think you're ready for that, to be on my right and to be on my left. You don't know what's coming in a couple of days. Apparently, you didn't understand. You don't know what you're really asking. But they responded. Oh, yes, they replied. We're able. Verse 23, Jesus told them, You will indeed drink from my bitter cup. Just not yet, guys. Just not yet. But it's coming. He goes on, he says, But I have no right to say Who will sit on my right or on my left? I wish I had time to break that down. That's cool. I have no right to say who will sit on my right or my left. My Father has prepared those places for the ones He has chosen. And by the way, it may not be what you're thinking, it might not be on a throne, it might be next to me on a cross. It's as if Jesus is saying, but listen, we've been over this enough, let's move on. Finally, let's move on. Verse 24, when the other disciples heard what James and John had asked, they were indignant. Well, of course they were. The audacity of those two yahoos stepping up and looking forward to the most honorable positions Beside Jesus. They weren't jealous. They were resentful. That they were being elbowed out of those positions. By this ambitious pair of brothers. And I'm sure after a few moments of bickering. And mouthing to each other. The disciples. Jesus sits this crew down. I can only imagine it's like a parent. With some unru- they're, they're unruly kids. I can almost hear Jesus saying, guys, where's my flip-flop? Guys, we have been over this and over this, and I'm going to tell you one more time. And here's what he says in verse 25. But Jesus called them together and said, you know that the rulers of this world Lord it over the people. And the officials flaunt their authority over those who are under them. It's like Jesus saying, Guys, listen, you know how things work on this earth. Whoever is in charge, they get to make all the rules. And usually those rules that they make are designed to benefit themselves, the person that's in charge. And I can almost imagine... The disciples of Jesus saying like, nodding their head, yeah, yeah, Jesus, you're right, you're right. And and that's why we want to be in charge with you, Jesus. It's like Jesus is trying to say, fellas, you know, you know that they use their position of authority to bear down and to burden and to press down and keep down the people who are below them. Because it happens everywhere, right? Isn't that true even for today? That happens in business. It can happen in government. It can happen at school. It can happen on the playground. And as Jesus is describing this, I can imagine the disciples nodding their head. Yeah, 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 Jesus, yeah, because we understand that. Because the Romans are doing that to us right now. They're thinking possibly. They're lording it over us right now at this very moment. Jesus goes on. He tells them, verse 26. But among you, it will be different. What do you mean, Jesus? Different. Different how? He says, whoever wants to be a leader among you, this is how different must be your servant. Verse 27, he says, whoever wants to be first among you must become your slave. And if that's not clear enough, Jesus' next statement makes it crystal clear. Verse 28, For even the Son of Man, okay, fellas, don't forget, that's me, Jesus, For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve others. Jesus clearly says to his followers, Guys, I came to this earth for this reason, to give and to serve. And when I say give and serve, that's what I really mean. And you know what I know how much I mean that? And his next phrase clears it up. And he says, give his, Jesus saying that's me, his life as a ransom for many. It's so easy for me to think of the death of Jesus and that tremendous amount of suffering and that tremendous amount of pain and agony. And to think, that is tragic. But listen to this. McKinley's going to put this on the screen. Because I want this to sink in. The death of Jesus is not an accident. It is not a tragedy. It is God's greatest triumph. And it was planned and it was carried out by God himself. It was his plan to hurt like that. It was his plan to suffer like that. It was his plan to die like that. It's as if Jesus is saying, from the very beginning of time, this has been my plan. So disciples, gentlemen, if you want to get in with my plan... You have to go to the back of the line, not the front of the line. The back of the line. Because that's where I'm headed, guys. I'm going. Jesus is saying, I'm going to the back of the line. So Jesus came to give his life as a ransom. Which makes me begin to think, well, what did he give? You know, Jesus really did give something up. God gave something up. Have you ever thought about this? Now, of course we know. He gave up his life, yes. But he gave up something more than that. McKinley, put this on the screen. He gave up his life as he existed. Now, think about this statement with me for just a moment. He gave up his life as he existed. Jesus, and this is what we celebrate at Christmas, Jesus eternally stepped out of heaven. And whatever existence that Jesus had before he came to this earth as a man, he stepped out of that. He willingly left that existence, whatever it was, to become God with a bod. That's what he gave up. And not just for the 33 years that he walked on this earth. When he stepped into that body of a baby who grew up to be a boy and then a man. When he stepped into that body, he gave up his previous existence, whatever that was. He gave it up forever. Jesus stepped down to us forever. Forever. Whatever Jesus was before the virgin birth, because Jesus didn't suddenly exist at the virgin birth, Jesus, we're told, was there as the voice of creation all the way back from the beginning of our time. Jesus goes back before the beginning of time. And whatever existence he had, he's never going back to that. Wow, that's something he gave that up. Not only is he giving that up, and then, McKinley, give us this, he he took that human life that he put on, and he gave that up too. He gave that life up, that physical life up, to suffering and to torture and to death. And Jesus experienced in that. The brokenness of all of this world without him being broken. Jesus experienced all of that sin, our sin, my sin, and your sin, and their sin, and the sin to come. He experienced all of that sin of the entire world, and the consequences, not just the sin, the consequences of that sin, without him ever sinning. It was our sin that he experienced. And then as he said to finish the task, he defeated the death and he walked out of that tomb alive again. And Jesus was alive then and don't miss this, Jesus is still alive Right now. And he will be alive. Alive. Living. For eternity. God. With flesh and bone. And it cost him his life. It cost him suffering. It cost him death. And now he has life again. Because he walked out of the tomb. He has life again, but God is still, Jesus is still God with a bod. That sounds like love to me. Doesn't it sound like love? So yes, Jesus gives. And you know what? He told us to give too. He gives and he told us to give. So he gives and I give. And, and when all of the eyes come together that make up the church, you and me and, and them and, all, and the folks in Malvern and even the other churches in, in the area, even when all the eyes who make up the church give, then we give. And here's what it looks like. Thank you, McKinley. He gives, I give, we give, we the church give. He gives, I give, we give. But wait! There's more. You see, giving and sharing, while they are connected, they are also different. There's certainly different costs involved to giving and serving. So Jesus goes on to say this. Here's the next phrase: "For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve." others. Now, if anyone ever deserved to be served, it would be Jesus. It'd be God. God deserves to be served. He deserves it, but instead, He came to serve. Now, that also, to me, sounds like love, doesn't it? And no matter how deep you look into the motives, no matter how much you dissect the the actions of God and the motives of God, we will never find a layer of God that is not pure love. And God, Jesus, is serving out of that love. Let's look for a moment at how he served. Here's Here's how Jesus served, just a sample Jesus, we're told, he helped people, he taught people, he fed people, he healed people, he forgave people, he invited people, he prayed for people. Jesus emptied himself over and over again. That's what we see in the new covenant, over and over and over again. In fact, put this on the screen, Jesus emptied himself and kept emptying himself. Isn't it interesting how the sacrifice of Jesus, that service of Jesus, is almost relatable for us. I'm not talking about the the stepping out and dying on the cross part. I can't relate to that. But I can relate to this Jesus that we see in the new covenant who steps up at a wedding and begins to serve at a wedding. I can relate more to this Jesus who sees hungry people, his followers around him, and he steps up and he feeds those people. I can relate to Jesus who loved those people and who served people. But it's so difficult to imagine this person of God. In fact, whatever I imagine about God, I'm just going to go ahead and say it's probably inaccurate and wrong what I can imagine about God. It's so difficult to know who God is and understand what he's like and and understand about him because we, it's so difficult. But that is until Jesus. Because before Jesus stepped on this earth, God is spirit. How do we know God the Spirit? Spirit. And understand God the Spirit. And comprehend God the Spirit. And how do we relate to God the Spirit? That's difficult. But when Jesus stepped onto the scene. And when Jesus said, serving? Yeah, yeah, it's just who I am. I serve. Which means it's who God is. Listen to this passage. And this was written down by another first-hand account. One of the guys that we were talking about a moment ago that said, hey, I want to sit on your left or right. This is the guy who wrote this. This account, he records it. John chapter 14, verse 6. Jesus told him. So he's talking to his followers. He says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one can come to the Father except through me. If you had really known me, he describes this. If you'd really known me, you would know who my Father is. Listen to what he's saying. He's going to break it down further. From now on, you do know him, the Father, the God, the Spirit. You do know him, and you have actually seen him. And Philip's like, what? Why? I don't understand. Lord, Lord, he says in verse 8, show us the Father. Please just show us the Father, and we'll be satisfied. And Jesus replies in verse 9. Have I been with you all this time, he says? Philip, and yet you still don't know who I am? (sighs) Jesus says, let's make it very, very clear. Anyone who has seen me, Jesus, has seen the Father. Jesus is saying, I am God. (laughs) The same. Ta-da! It's me. So let's think about this. If Jesus is helping at that wedding, that's God helping at that wedding. If Jesus cooks his followers breakfast on the beach, that's God cooking breakfast on the beach. Jesus serves, which means that is God, not figuratively, literally, that is God serving. And he, Jesus, God, Tells all of us to serve. And when all the us's that make up this church serve, then we, the church, are serving. He serves. This is the second part of what McKinley had on the screen. Here's the second part. He serves. I serve. We serve. Because Jesus showed us, quite literally, ultimate giving, and he showed us ultimate serving. And we have to remember, we have to keep this in check, because this is not about us. We are not the stars of this show. We talked about that last week. We are not the center around which everything else revolves. In fact, the only real part that I play in any of this is just for my life to reflect some of God's glory as much as we possibly can. That's, all, I'm, that's my only tiny part. Jesus gives because he is perfect love. And giving... Him giving from that love that brings Him glory. Jesus serves because Jesus is perfect love and He is loving and He's serving from that love and that gives Him glory. Now let's think about us. I give but it shouldn't be because it feels good. And it shouldn't be because it makes me look good. I give because it gives Him glory too. And I serve not because it feels good and not because it makes me look good and not for position. I serve. It should be because it brings Him glory, gives glory. Him glory too. Do you see the progression? It's all about Him. Everything. All of it. Even when I do good things, it's all about Him. And I can only do them because He is good and I'm simply reflecting that glory. Or, it's self-serving and self-serving giving. You see, all glory and all honor and all praise belong to Him. And when our lives are in line with God, with Jesus, then He is glorified. And it's not us. And it's not our position that is elevated. No. It's not who's on the left and who's on the right. No, 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 no. Just Him. Just Him. So we give. Not to feel good. We give because He is good. And we serve. Not to feel good. We serve because He is good. And the more we give and the more we serve... The more we do that like Jesus, the more we look like Jesus. And the more that the world around us will know how good he is. Because right now, this present day, they can only see Jesus through us. And that's not an accident. That's his plan. And I want to say this. Let this sink in over the course of the week. Perhaps the reason why the current two generations, the millennials and also generation Z, Perhaps the reason why they are running away from God and the church in numbers larger than we have ever recorded, perhaps one of the reasons is because the people who called themselves Christians look nothing like Jesus. But Jesus has called us And here's the bottom line. McKinley's going to give us the whole thing. He gives, so I give. That means we give. He serves, so I serve. And we serve. And the last part of that, not so we look good. No. Because it shows that he is good. We give and we serve because it glorifies him. It has nothing to do with us. And I'm sure you know where we're headed this morning. We want you to give. And we want you to serve this morning. And we want you to keep giving and keep serving. Because the more you do, the more it glorifies God, the more it makes your life look like Jesus. And so keep giving and keep serving. Now, this morning, as a next step, we can't sign you up today to serve your neighbor. McKinley, stick that on the screen for me. We can't sign you up to serve your neighbor this morning. We just want you to go and do that. Go serve your neighbor. Be Jesus to your neighbor. You just need to go and do that. But this morning, we can sign you up for this step. The next step says this. Sign up today to serve on Sundays. Times I want to say this to you. Welcome to the family. You are in, you are part of us, you are part of our family here. And when our family gathers together on Sunday, we serve each other, and we serve the people also who are trying to take a step with God, trying to figure out this God thing, and we invite them to come and figure that out alongside of us. And so we serve them on Sundays. And if you're not yet on a Sunday serving team, we invite you to be. We want you to be. And if you will just check this on your connection card today, you are not today signing up to be on a serving team. So we're not going to, like, take it and say, hey, well, here's a contract, you signed the contract. It's just saying, I want information about how I could serve on Sundays. And we're going to get you information. That's all it is. But we do invite you to sign up today. Maybe you're already on a serving team on Sunday, but you don't serve every single week. Sign up and we can put you on a second team too. I think we should do something on a Sunday serving team just about every week. Sign up, be a part. We do want to sign you up for that. And you can do it on your connection card, and we'll get you some information, begin that process of getting you information this week. And here's one thing you could do almost immediately we're going to be hosting a painting party soon. It's going to be more painting than party. (laughs) Because we're getting back in here, there's been a lot of folks putting some sweat and blood into getting us back into this after our, after our flood. And we got a lot of walls that we're going to have to paint. And we're going to be doing that. Uh, Cole's going to be getting us information on that. How we can participate that on, on an evening, a couple of evenings. We're going to get as many people together as we can and get some paint done. Coat one and then they're going to come back and do a coat two. You could sign up to be a part of that. but Please don't misunderstand what I'm saying though. The painting party, we want you to be a part of that. Yes, we do. But that doesn't replace coming together and serving together on a Sunday. We encourage you, invite you to do that. I am so honored. If you don't know my story, you don't yet. You will one day if you don't know it yet. But if you don't know my story, you don't yet understand how honored and humbled I am to get to be a part of you. To get to be one of your pastors, I don't deserve it. I shouldn't be allowed to walk into the building where a church meets, they should look at me and say, hmm, not you. And I'll be honest, there's a lot of people who know me, who know the old Harley, and that's what they that's that's how they have done me. They've they've written me off, and they and no more do they have anything to do with me. I lost everybody. You don't know how humbled. I am, and honored I am to get to be a part, uh, you know, to mop floors at the, the church building where the church gathers in Malvern, to mop floors. I'm honored to do that. I'm honored to be a part of this church, to be a part of your lives, for you to be a part of my life. And from that position of humble, being being humbled, the events of my life that have humbled me, from that position, I would like to lead us in a closing prayer before we sing about our Jesus together. Let's pray. Jesus, for even you, God himself, came to this earth as a baby, a human. You didn't come to be served. You came to offer that life to pain and humiliation and mockery and suffering and death. For me. And Jesus, then you said to your followers that anyone who has seen you or had a glimpse of you or looks at you in the pages of Scripture, then we have seen God the Father. And Jesus, as we look at you, you give. So I give, and together we give. And Jesus, we look at you, and you served. So I serve, and together we serve. And Jesus, it is not so that we will look good. It's because you are good. Jesus, we pray these things in your name and your name only. Amen.